This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. And so again, that's a defense that comes at us. And what it does is it shuts people down, stops innovation, keeps things in the status quo and keeps him very happy because he gets his agenda for not having to change and not evolve and not grow just got met by the by the behavior he put out. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen, and welcome to today's episode. You know, narcissism is when someone is so focused on their own self-interest that they consistently ignore or avoid the needs of those around them. And unfortunately, there are narcissistic executives everywhere. But you should know that narcissism is actually a personality disorder that has a very wide spectrum, ranging anywhere from occasional behavior, you know, that we're all are guilty of, including me, all the way to extreme behavior where it negatively impacts relationships and workplace dynamics. The most effective leaders today understand how to navigate collaborating with narcissistic leaders while also lessening the impact of their behavior on the broader team or stakeholders. So on today's show, we have an incredible mother-daughter duo who are experts in both dismantling dysfunctions in organizations, as well as coaching leaders on how to diminish any narcissistic behaviors, which may be detrimental to both them and to those that they serve. Dr. Ann Dranitzaris and her daughter, Heather Dranitzaris Hilliard, are the founders of Caliber Leadership Systems, where they use neurobiology of human development to help improve workplace cultures. Be sure to listen to their addition to our leadership execution playbook and my closing segment called Karen's Take, where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's episode to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, my superstars. Uh, welcome to today's episode. We are so pleased to have on today's show a truly dynamic and tremendous mother and daughter duo. I am so pleased to introduce you to Dr. Ann Dranitzaris and her daughter, Heather Dranitzaris Hilliard. And I think I might have murdered their last name, so please forgive me for that. (laughs) But they are both the leaders of Caliber Leadership Systems, who are the, you know, absolutely foremost experts in neuropsychology of leadership, personality, and potential. So welcome to the podcast, Ann and Heather. Thank Thanks, you so Karen. much. Awesome <laughs> to have you today. Well, are you ready to share a little bit of insight uh, from your leadership playbook today with our listeners? 
Absolutely. We're raring to go. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Well, to start us off, you know, for as much as you feel comfortable, I would love for you to give us a sneak peek into both your personal backgrounds and your professional journey up to today. It's interesting for us because in our case, it's a little bit intertwined, our personal and our professional journey. Um, So as you pointed out, Anne and I are a mother-daughter duo, um, and we started our business almost 25 years ago uh, with the intention of helping organizations and individuals to achieve their potential. What's really interesting about our journey is Anne and I had only known each other for about three years before we had um, gone into business together because Anne had put me up for adoption uh, when I was a baby and I didn't uh, reconnect with her until I was in my late 20s. Um, And so three years of uh, building an initial relationship together, we discovered we had this shared interest in potential and people and helping organizations to succeed. And we thought, hey, let's bring this together. And I'll let Anne sort of pick up the rest of the story from there. <laughs> well, if you can imagine how how um, wonderful it was, and it's certainly from my perspective, because I'm meeting a, a woman, a young woman who happens to be my biological daughter, and we have this shared interest and a lot of anxiety about how do we form this and how do we really connect? That went away as we were able to both come at our interests from my perspective, from the psychological perspective, and Heather's from that business systems perspective. And, and our, first, uh, our, our first shot out of the gate with our business was um, a model of people, systems, and results that you couldn't have one without another. You couldn't put a system into an organization without really attending to the people because without the combination of the two, something, some dysfunction was going to happen as a result. And, and so over time, we, we shared our, our individual competencies and blended a lot of the work that we did with leaders and with putting systems into organizations. I, I always like to joke that she gave birth to me just to have an extension of her capability coming at it from a different lens, right? So I'm like, we're like the perfect complement to each other. And, and so it, it's an interesting thing. And our, our strengths, as Anne said, is like we have very different strengths. We have different personalities. And yet sort of the combination of the two is what's made it really work for us, for our clients. Um, and so our journey really has been woven together from a personal and professional level. That's amazing. And you took the words out of my mouth. You know, even though, you know, you may not have known each other, you know, your entire lives, there's definitely some synergies in in the bloodline. And I also feel a very kindred uh, spirit with you, too, um, both because um, I was adopted as well. Um, I was not fortunate enough to get to meet my birth mother, but um, I do understand uh, the dynamics with that bond. And I'm so happy that you all not only got to connect, but also um, advance your lives together in both business and on a personal level. So that is such an inspirational story. And my second connection to you both is I understand you both are Sagittarius. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I am as well. So I'm December 19th. And what about the two of you? December 19th. Oh, December. stop the madness. 
December 12th for me. Wow. Amazing. Okay. This yeah. is going to be the episode of all time. Fire. Oh, you betcha. <laughs> Well, wonderful. <laughs> well, let's move on. So thank you so much for sharing. And let's move on um, to talk a little bit about the fantastic work that you all are doing around uh, leaders in general and um, assessing and identifying and optimizing potential. And specifically, I know that you've done a lot of work on, you know, the dysfunction of narcissistic leaders. And I'd love to hear more about that. So, so what we think about narcissistic leaders is, is any leader who comes at leadership with a persona, with their own agenda. And when we talk about personas, we talk about the image that somebody creates in order to have the world think of them in a particular way. And, and these days we find that more leaders are, are aspiring to be great leaders mm -hmm. than actually driving for results or trying to be effective as leaders or, or even to know what they're doing with people. Right. And, and so, so when we see people who, who lack emotional intelligence, they lack self-awareness, they're very image driven, get defensive very easily, have to have things their way. A whole range of people fall under that spectrum of, narcissistic leadership dysfunction, because we're not talking about the personality disorder per se. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a collection of behaviors that are specifically set to drive the solo agenda of that leader. And what are some of those behaviors that you've observed? So, so it's interesting because there's a bit of a, a range around them and, and we yeah. sort of, we talk a lot of them in terms of the, on the one side, um, we've got narcissistic leaders who are incredibly permissive. And mm. so because again, they're being self-protective and they want their employees to think that they're great and to, to think they're a, a wonderful leader. And so they don't manage their performance. They don't resolve conflict. They don't set boundaries. They, um, they tolerate all kinds of bad behavior, including insubordination from their employees. And so that's kind of on that permissive side. And we see a lot of that in organizations. We mm. also see them on the other side, which is that more autocratic approach where they're, you know, command and control and you have to do it my way. And, you know, the bullying and the um, devaluation of others. I think about one of our clients all the time, you know, say things like, you know, what do you think? You know, that's just stupid. And wh why would you think that we would do that? And you're going to embarrass us. And, you know, and, and again, from that, it's self-protective, right? Whatever right. we're working on or trying to do, we frightened him in that mm -hmm. moment. And so he comes out guns a-blazing, right? Even right. you're making this up. And, and so, again, that's a defense that comes at us. And it, what it does is it shuts people down, stops innovation, keeps things in the status quo, and keeps him very happy because he gets his agenda for not having to change and not evolve and not grow just got met by the by the behavior he put out and and so those are just some of them i mean there's there's we can get into specifics but we we do tend to look at it on those two sides of the coin where we've got these leaders that are so hands off and and fostering entitlement in their employees and you, you know and and those that are again, autocratic and equally challenging to work with, but both of them coming from that same place of the, the narcissistic dysfunctions. Yeah, and the extreme sides of those spectrums are, are both very detrimental to organizations, correct? Yes, yes. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Because it starts with the dysfunction of the leader's behavior, and then it becomes systemic. You mm. see, as, as Heather says about, about how that more autocratic, domineering behavior, it shuts down innovation, right. whereas permissive leadership stops um, productivity and, and getting results in a timely fashion. So so all of these these behaviors where... Simply put, a dysfunction is simply any action that's out of alignment with the expected normal behavior for a leader. And when leaders don't manage performance because they're afraid to, um, their pattern of fear causes them to behave in ways that they get to be safe, which is their agenda, at the expense of the organization and its people. Wow. Insane. Insanely. It's, it's a lot to deal with, I think, especially for like senior executives that these type of behaviors have been brought to their attention by various staff or what have you. Um, let's peel back the layers of the onion a little bit. Um, what do you all recommend uh, organizations or leaders do in this case? I mean, do you have some tools or tips or guidance on how they should first approach these types of leaders? So one of the places that we always come in and, and go after is what are the leaders complaining about? Mm. Um, because that's usually to us, that's kind of like the surface symptom saying, hey, there's dysfunction here because the leaders are complaining about the same things over and over again. And and I, I kid you not, we have clients where they've been complaining about the same people or the same situation for nine, 10 years. And these are the executives <laughs> of the organization. So, so while we talk about it from a, what do we need to do about it? It's like, we start with those places where they're complaining because that's where they're being most self-protective, where they feel the most powerless to actually step in and lead and it's what we most need to get them to do and so if they're complaining about you know another member of the executive team then it's we help them say well what is the actual issue so what is underneath that and and then we we look at what is it that they're afraid to do is it because they don't know how they haven't developed up which a lot of these dysfunctions come from a, a developmental gap do they not know what to say you know and, and so we sort of look at it from that perspective of trying to come up with a solution that's actionable in order to move through that particular dysfunction and it can be anything from us helping them figure out kind of a plan of attack that and then being there with them to help them to deliver it while they build up their skills um, to sometimes even calling them out. It's funny, we we say to our clients a lot of the times when they'll complain about something, we'll say, you know, that's insubordination, right? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And because people have forgotten about that word. I said, when I started working, you could get fired for insubordination, right? And, and it's like, why are you intolerating them being insubordinate? And they're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there is, to Anne's point, like the, the lack of emotional um, intelligence, the lack of self-awareness, that not sort of looking at the behavior and going, hmm, how am I contributing to that? So the, so those are a number of pieces, you know, Anne, you can, can fill in some more, but it's, I, I do, we do sort of joke about it as like, tell us, bring your leaders complaints and then we can come in and, and root out the dysfunction because the complaints are really indicative to us as to where the deepest dysfunction is, is, exists in that point in time. Well, and, and to Heather's point about power and, and leaders feeling helpless, it's really, it's surprising to many people when we talk about leaders feeling like they don't have the right, they don't feel entitled. Again, looking at, at that narcissistic 
um, defense of if I say something, somebody's going to be mad at me. They're not going to like me. I'm not entitled to even say, um, you know, please arrive on time. <laughs> no, <laughs> we have a contract. You see, <laughs> you've agreed to do this and, and they don't feel entitled to give expectations or hold people accountable for fear that they're going to leave, for fear of a negative consequence to themselves. And, and because many leaders don't have that much self-awareness, they don't even know they're afraid. They want to admit that they're afraid to say something. They find all kinds of ways of blaming the employees, damn entitled employees, you know, they coming with all of these expectations, what's wrong with them without looking and saying, you know, this is my responsibility to develop these people into really solid functioning employees who know how to follow. Instead, they back off and avoid it and complain about it. You are so correct because I see it. I'm sure you do too in your practices when you all are consulting and even just opening up the line of communications a bit more and deepening trust with their employees could really go a long way so they can have those critical conversations um, to help uh, gain followership for what they're trying to do. Do you agree or? Yeah, and we, we do talk about that notion of followership and how us as leaders, it's our responsibility to cultivate that and develop it up in our employees. So if our employees come to us and they haven't developed that skill set, then we need to support those employees to develop that skill set. But that means we as leaders have to give them something to follow. And and so we talk a lot about with our clients, it's like you don't give information you give direction or you give instruction. And you're explicit in that direction and that instruction because information, there's this tendency again, because you know, I'm I'm not comfortable exercising the authority that comes with my leadership role. And again, this is part of this dysfunction. And and so I'll say things like, Can you help me with this? Or, you know, uh, we need to get this done without going into that. We need to get this done by this time. I want it done this way. And, you know, if you have any challenges come back to me at least two days in advance, right? Like we're not directive <laughs> when we're stuck in this dysfunction, because again, our agenda is to not step out of our comfort zone. And for a lot of these where it's like, well, well, they're going to think I'm micromanaging. And it's like, no, you're leading. <laughs> it's like, this it's is what leading leaders. looks like. <laughs> get comfortable with that, right? And get comfortable in this leading space. This is what <laughs> you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> it's so, um, and and that, I'll I'll let Anne pick up on the micromanaging, but it's it it is that one. It's like somehow employees, you know, uh, understood the fact that if I simply tell my boss that they're micromanaging, they're going to back off, right? And and so it's it's become a way that employees, in order to sort of. Um, you know, get to do what they want to do and, and to, to come up and show up at work the way they want to is by making these accusations. And the managers and leaders, they're just not prepared to deal with that. And they don't have the language or the words to say things like I just said. It's like, you know, nope, not micromanaging, just leading. This is what directing performance looks like, right? 
You know, I, I, as you're talking, Heather, I'm remembering workshops that we did on performance management back, back in the early 90s where leaders um, who were being introduced to a different type of performance management where they were no longer just doing the performance review, but they were actually going through the cycle of plan, do, review, where they had to sit down and talk to their people about setting expectations and, you know, managing the performance throughout the year, et cetera, and how frightened managers were back then because something brand new was being imposed on them. That's not how they managed performance before. But if you fast forward now 30 years, it really isn't that different that managers and leaders still want to avoid having a relational conversation with their employees as though leading people is not part of their mandate. <laughs> when, you, when you think about it, it's, okay, have I gone through the looking glass here? Because there's no logic to this that you can't just tell people what to do. We're not living in the 50s or 60s. No. And, and, collaborative. And, yeah. Exactly. But because leaders didn't drive the change in how they, they needed to lead, it was the employees. And employees um, continue to increase the expectations they have of leaders, and leaders still don't get it that they have to develop. They yep. still resist their own development. They so do. And, and where this is impacting the organization is – um, and I'm dating myself, but, you know, 20 plus years ago, it was normal or expected for you to be in a role for two to four years um, or longer within the organization. And these days, you know, uh, workers are, I'll just say, hopping from opportunity to opportunity um, in a very short time frame. So if you don't connect and try to communicate and always re-recruit your staff, they're going to be looking for, you know, greener pastures uh, pretty quickly. And you're going to lose that, you know, that internal, you know, intellectual property that you've invested into your employees, right? Yeah, we have a, you know, it's interesting when we see that one, because I, leaders, we, in all of our, our client organizations struggle with this. And, and part of it is, is if you think about it in the school system, they really didn't have to get to mastery. It's like they, they just kept moving sort of up and on. And, and you, you know, and I, I don't know what it's like elsewhere, but I, I know in Canada, a lot of our curriculum got simplified so that they didn't have to struggle. And, and so now we bring these people into the workplace and it's, and they think, okay, I've done it once I'm done. And, and so they don't have this sense of <laughs> practice to mastery, right? And it's like, and so we talk about that a lot in our, our organizations that we're doing work with is it's not about learning how to do it. It's about mastering it and getting, and actually taking pride in a level of mastery. And once you demonstrate mastery, then you get to move on. But you don't get to move on until you develop mastery because we all know what happens when you get promoted beyond your level of competence, right? <laughs> we just look at leaders all around. You know? Yeah, you but, got it. But it's it's reintroducing that notion and that sense of pride so that the employee's less focused on what's my next. And that's my goal, right? My goal is mastery and to be able to demonstrate mastery and in that does mean that leaders and organizations have to be more directive again and definitive around 
what does mastery look like and what's the reward that comes with mastery and what does that mean for your next career progression? But but they're so anxious to please their employees that they're saying, oh, there's lots of opportunity for progression with and not explaining anything else. So of course, the employees come in with these inflated sense of entitlement of, well, you're going to move me like this, as opposed to saying like you, which is progression happens typically here. You're in a job for at least a year and a half because we really want you to master it. But then you're going to move here and we do bigger jumps between our promotions, like whatever it is you do that creates that path for them to step into, but we're not defining that. And so we just get sucked into this reacting to our employees' emotions or their, um, you know, what they feel emotionally entitled to without actually leading our employees. And and that's really problematic for in all organizations that we work with. It's a pattern that definitely has emerged and become more prevalent in the last 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're so right. It's important for leaders to what I call um, connect the red thread through their uh, career progression because they need to communicate um, what is the next step, meaning what additional skills should they strive for and try to master. And then let's talk about how and to do that. What experiences do you need to be able to do that? How do we assess whether you been successful or not. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And then start connecting. Okay. If you are successful, what other career paths might these additional skills open up for you? Um, And it could be laterally, it could be growing deeper in current role. It could be, you know, a multitude of different ways, but helping the, uh, their direct reports connect those dots is going to be really important. Yeah. Well, I would love for you all to share with the listeners a, a bit about your new book and some of the information um, that is contained there so they can run to Amazon and, and purchase it. Tell me about your book and the journey and the stories behind that. Go ahead. I'll let you kick off. Uh, okay. <laughs> So, so a lot of what we're talking about um, lays the foundation for our book on foundation about how how all of this has evolved, how we've gotten to be where we are in terms of that gap between what employees expect and the the increasingly dysfunctional behavior of of leaders because they 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 just don't see themselves as as contributing as we've talked about, but but Heather and I throughout are working with clients, what we've done is we've tracked different types of narcissistic behavior as well as different um, dysfunctions that come out of certain leadership styles based on psychological type theory. Um, you're probably familiar with the Myers-Briggs type indicator. In our, in our system, the striving styles, we, we um, talk about self-protective personas and, and looking predictively at what each of the personas or temperaments of, of the personality type will naturally evolve into without training and development. So we look at what each of the styles will create as a dysfunctional leadership style and the organizational um, dysfunctions that that ensue. And we have lots and lots of um, client stories to back up all of these dysfunctions because there are different, different personality types, as you know, different temperaments, and they don't all 
lead with the same effectiveness in certain areas, nor do they go into dysfunctional behavior in the same way. Part of the reason why we sort of launched our podcast and and are you know going after writing this book is that people in organizations, whether they're in roles in HR or they're in other leadership roles, and and they can see the dysfunction, but again, they feel overwhelmed to do anything about it. And there really isn't a good field book out there that says, okay, if you're struggling with the dysfunction of silos, this is exactly what you can do, right? This is what where it's coming from, because it, it is multi-pronged. And, and so it's like, if you try and take a dysfunction and, and simplify it, which we see clients do all the time, it's what we call their magical thinking. Well, well, if we just get this person in, then it'll all be better. And it's like, no, then you're just going to do it all over again. <laughs> so so we're, we're sort of looking at it from that place of, you know, going back to the roots of our business, which is we have to look at some of the systems that are in the organization that, that allow for it. And that's processes, practices, all of those sorts of things. Um but also then the people, right? The behaviors, where are they at in their development? What behavior is being tolerated? What behavior needs to be changed in, in order to move them a- away from it? And I go back to this example of silos. We have a client right now where we're doing a really big um, uh, organizational project to help break down silos. Um, and silos are, you know, sort of this way, but also between levels of leadership. <laughs> There's siloing there too. And and it, it's really fascinating as, as we go in and we talk about it because, the silos are there because the leaders are overly permissive and and they don't come out and say, this is what it looks like. This is the way we do it here. And they let people pick and choose and new people come into the organization. They decide to do it a different way. So we have to define what they want it to be. And then we have to get them comfortable with articulating it plus holding people accountable to complying with it. So that's a lot that you're sort of unpacking and you have to do it in steps so that they don't get so frightened that they shut down and end up doing nothing. And 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 so but but that's what but you know driving the book is like how do we give some really practical based on all of our years of of working with organizations and navigating to dismantle dysfunction so that everybody it doesn't matter if you're a mid-tier leader or you're in HR, you know how to go after it and to not just talk about it as, oh, there's that big elephant called dysfunction. It's like, oh, I know what dysfunction that is. And I know exactly what I need to do in order to be able to start to break it down in my organization. Wow. Your book sounds like a fantastic resource. Can you tell the listeners again, the title of the book again? Dismantling Narcissistic Dysfunction. Dismantling Narcissistic Dysfunction. Fantastic. All right. Well, we will have links to that. Your hello. I uh, can't even speak today. We will have links in the show notes on um, how the listeners can um, purchase that book and how to reach out to you all on your website as well if they need additional consulting in this area. Um, I just have a few more questions to ask you all as we get ready to close out this episode. Uh, and as you know. Um, I recently released a book as well in the last year um, on leadership execution. And I always love to ask um, out of the seven tactics that I talk about in uh, my book, which one of those kind of popped out for you all. And so I'd love to ask you uh, both you two um, out of the seven, was there one that, you know, really popped out as although they all are important, but one that was really resonated with you. 
Both of us selected the same one, oddly enough, in that driving from results. And when you think about it, Karen, it's we we need to get back to the fundamentals of of leading, which have really stood the test in time, is that, that we're in business to achieve results. That's right. And, and part of what leaders do in driving for results is engage people in the process of contributing to those results. And, and so we see that as our, you know, it's like our true north where, where energy um, moves towards and where we get everyone into alignment with. And if we don't have that, if we're just more laissez-faire about things, and as Heather's talked a, a fair amount about permissive, if we're permissive, there's no fire in the bellies of our employees. That's right. That's so right. Yeah, and, and for me that, you know, drive for results is, you know, I, I picked it because it, it's the place where when leaders move away from that, it's like that everything falls apart and and they go into the this conversation where it's like well I can't do that or I can't get this done or or they're not going to change and and so all of the excuses and the blaming starts to come up and and so but if I'm focused on driving for results I'm looking to solution everything. So there's a solution for everything. And and so I'm not going to get thrown off by the fact that there's this barrier, that obstacle, or I have to get through three no's to get to my yes from my CEO, who's a little more traditional and status quo oriented. I'm driving for the result and I'm holding that. Um, and, and we see like quite literally, like I think about this one client where they've had the same objective on their list for four years. And, and haven't moved the needle on that at all? No. <laughs> Where's the drive for results, people? Come on, right? And, and 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 so that's the thing of that, you know, bet better to have fewer things, but really making sure you're moving the needle on the things that are more important. And I, I think we've lost that. I think we've lost some of that even dialogue in organizations and and employees where they, you know, they'll start to push back and because they're not as results oriented, right? And and so that's I right. think. I think that's probably why I picked up on it. I see it as a big vacuum uh, today for in a lot of organizations where they're just missing the, the drive for results. I love that. I love that. Well, I would also like to, uh, to ask you a few fun questions for our final segment. And I promise there will be no gotcha check questions. Uh, we call this segment <laughs> full disclosure, but it's fun. It's just uh, just something to, uh, that we love uh, learning a little bit more uh, about our guests um, on the show. So my first question for you both is, um, what is, for each one of you, um, can answer, what is one hobby or activity that you do that others may not anticipate or expect you to do? What is something that you love that's to do that they may not guess that uh, is part of your passion? Well, I, I will. T- I can answer on behalf of both of us for one of them. We are both. Okay. We're both puzzle geeks. Really? We love to do jigsaw puzzles. We do a gazillion of them every single year. We trade them back and forth between the two of us, and we buy them for each other at Christmas, knowing that it's going to make its way back to me if I give it to her, and vice versa. Right? <laughs> That is amazing. See, puzzles kind of frustrate me because um, my attention span is like this big. So, um, but that is amazing uh, that you absolutely love puzzles. So I know what to get you both uh, for during the holidays. 
All and, right, you too. What the, is that? I'm sorry. The, the other that we share mm-hmm. is we're, we're both um, avid gardeners. Oh, I am as well. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you have more alike than we both know. I have well, there you go. Now back. <laughs> I always, I always say that uh, because the work we do tends to be intangible, although we can see the evidence of it, but gardening, you yes. get to see the evidence of, of your work yeah. and you're creating and you're building and it's, you, you know, sort of anyway, so that drive for results. My garden is my drive for results <laughs> in the, on the land. <laughs> me too. Oh, it is so fulfilling to me as Absolutely. well as I watch and talk to my babies during the growing, growing season. <laughs> Uh, all right well i would love each one of you to give me one song that is in your playlist if you listen to music what is one song that you love of any type oh i love um anything by abba Abba. (laughs) that's the first thing that jumped into my mind i've got lots but mama mia Mama Mia, I can't yeah. sing, so I won't even uh, I'll swear you. Yeah, neither can we, it's fine. <laughs> but I love them too. Uh, How about you, Heather? Um, I, you know, I think the one that first came into my mind, and I, I do have an affinity for, for songs that are, are very sort of aspirational, powerful, and I was just mm-hmm. thinking, you know, I'm coming out. I want the world to know. It's always that, you know, we're, uh, world domination is what we're after and songs that line up with that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. (laughs) All right. Um, One last question for you both. Um, What is one app or resource that you just can't live without? And it can be personal or professional. Oh, I would say for me, it's um, Mies, Carolyn Mies's um, Mies.com. Mies.com. Tell me about that. Car- Carolyn Mies is a is one of my um, one of, one of the people I follow relative to transformational thought, spiritual growth and development, archetypes, uh, sacred contracts, the, those types of really inspirational pers- personal growth oriented practices. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have to look that up and put it in yes. the show. It's wonderful. <laughs> and you, Heather. Oh, now she's just throwing me for a loop here. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, one? it doesn't have I, to be I, that. I, I mean, it sounds fantastic. But I got a great something. one. Um, find my iPhone or find my <laughs> iWhatever <laughs> to track my daughter. It's to track my daughter. Can you tell <laughs> her? she is. <laughs> that is fascinating. She just turned 20 and it's, you know, the communication oh. of, oh, mom, I'm not coming home tonight because I'm, so I just go on and I'm like, where is she? Okay, looks yeah. like she's somewhere safe, so that's good. <laughs> so can you tell, talk to my daughter who's in her early 20s too, so she understands that I'm not the only one? <laughs> no, not at it's, all. It's about safety. It's not about trust. It's about safety. That's right. That's right. (laughs) All right. And then the last item, and it's not for you, you know, turnabout is fair play. I love to give my guests an opportunity to um, turn the tables on me and ask me one question. So either one of you have a question you'd love to ask me? What inspired you to do um, podcasting with guests? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and I'll be honest with you, and I 
I thought about it for about three years and I fought it. I fought the urge, but, um, honestly, my family, friends and colleagues said that I would be, you know, very fabulous with it. As you can tell, I love to talk and collaborate and learn from others and share that information with others. And it just seemed like a, just a natural vehicle to be able to do so. And it was much in line with the organizational effectiveness work that um, our company does. And it just okay. seemed like a, just a natural add-on. So once I bit the bullet and said, yep, this is the right thing to do to add to the strategy. And, you know, fast forward to those three years, there's a you know million podcasts out there, but I've always, you know, I follow them. I listen to them religiously when I uh, work out. So, I believe we will attract the audience we need to, to help in the way that um, we want to have a positive impact on leaders and in organizations. Beautiful. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for your time, your <laughs> gift of time. This has been fabulous. I literally blinked my eyes and was looking at the <laughs> time and boy, have we had some great conversations. So thank you both so much uh, for joining us and listeners. We will have all their information in the show notes. You will want to check it out and check out their uh, website, learn more about the consulting practice. Definitely get the book. Um, and I'm sure if you reach out to them, there's some value out that they can bring to your organization. So once again, Anne and Heather, thanks so much for being at the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. Thanks so much, Karen. We appreciate being on your show. Yeah, thanks, Karen. Terrific fun. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Ann Dranitzaris and her daughter, Heather Dranitzaris Hilliard, founders and CEOs of Caliber Leadership Systems. Links to their bio, their entry into our leadership playbook, and additional resources can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform of choice and at leadyourgamepodcast.com. And now for Karen's take. On today's topic of dismantling dysfunctional narcissistic behavior in leaders. So today I wanted to share just a few tips on how you can strategize dealing with such challenging behaviors in others. You know, navigating a relationship with a leader with narcissistic tendencies can be deeply frustrating and distressing. And in their quest for control and admiration, narcissistic people may manipulate and exploit others, often damaging their self-esteem and even aiming to alter their sense of reality. Arguing with a narcissist about their actions often proves futile. A more successful approach is to one, Educate yourself about the medical condition of narcissism. You know, for most of us, the underlying psychology of the narcissistic personality is extremely difficult to comprehend. But knowledge is power, everyone. And there are many subject matter experts and websites that can give you some advice. Number two, remember to establish boundaries and emotionally, emotionally distance yourself. Don't try to argue or justify or explain yourself to a narcissist. Recognize that you may not be able to control your feelings about them, but you can control how you respond to them. And my third tip is try aligning your successes with theirs. 
Such individuals are always seeking validation of their thoughts, so aligning your goals with theirs increases the chances of their support of your efforts. And lastly, don't expect loyalty from them. Sometimes they don't have it in them. And don't take it personally. And if the situation becomes so unbearable that it's affecting your mental or physical health, you might have to summon up the courage to make a change. It could be a change to a different leader, a different department, or maybe even a different employer. So if you've enjoyed this leadership topic, more info on developing stronger leadership acumen can be found by clicking on the signature program link on our website, shockleydifferent.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.